0: Chapter Forty One of the Spanish Brothers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Delde Pynorlates. The Spanish Brothers by Deborah Alcock. Chapter Forty One. More about the Penitent. I thus thy mother looked with such a sad yet half triumphant smile, all radiant with deep meaning, Hemans. A slight incident that occurred the following morning partially broke down the barrier of reserve between the two prisoners. After her early devotions, the penitent laid aside his mantle, took up a piece amid of long slips of cane, and proceeded with great deliberation and gravity to sweep out the room. The contrast that his stately figure, his noble air, and the dignity of all his movements offered to the menial occupation in which he was engaged was far too pathetic to be ludicrous carlos could not but think that he wielded the lowly implement as if it were a chamberlain's staff of office or a grand marshal's baton he himself was well accustomed to such tasks for every prisoner of the santa casa no matter what his rank might be was his own servant and it spoke much for the revolution that had taken place in his ideas and feelings that though taught to look on all servile occupations as ineffably degrading He had never associated a thought of degradation with anything laid on him to do or suffer as the prisoner of Christ. And yet he could not endure to see his stately and aged fellow-prisoner thus occupied. He rose immediately, and earnestly entreated him to be allowed to relieve him of the task, pleading that all such duties ought to devolve on him as the younger. At first the penitent resisted, saying that it was part of his penance. But when Carlos continued to urge the point he yielded, Perhaps the more readily, because his will, like his other faculties, was weakened for want of exercise, then, with more apparent interest than he had shown in any of his previous proceedings, he watched the rather slow and difficult movements of his young companion. You are lame, Signor, he said a little abruptly when Carlos, having finished his work, sat down to rest from the pulley. Carlos answered quietly, and then his face beamed with a sudden smile for the secret of the lord was with him and he tasted the strange sweet joy that springs out of suffering born for him that look was the wire that drew an electric flash of memory from the clouds that veiled the old man's soul what that sudden flash revealed was a castle gate at which stood a stately yet slender form robed in silk in the fair young face tears and smiles were contending but a smile won the victory as a little child was held up and made to kiss a baby hand in farewell to his father in a moment all was gone Only a vague trouble and uneasiness remained, accompanied by that strange sense of having seen or felt just the same thing before, with which we are most of us familiar. Accustomed to solitude, the penitent spoke aloud, perchance unconsciously. "'Why did they bring you here?' he said, in a half-fretful tone. "'You hurt me. I have done very well all alone all these years.' "'I am sorry to incommode you, senor,' returned Carlos. "'But I did not come here of my own will. Neither unhappily can I go.' i'm a prisoner like yourself but i'm like you i'm a prisoner under sentence of death for several minutes the penitent did not answer then he rose and taking a step or two towards the place where carlos sat gravely extended his hand i fear i have spoken uncourteously he said so many years have passed since i conversed with my fellows that i have well nigh forgotten how i ought to address them do me the favor senor and my brother to grant me your pardon Carlos warmly assured him no offence had been given, and taking the offered hand, he pressed it reverently to his lips. From that moment he loved the fellow-prisoner in his heart. There was an interval of silence, then the penitent, of his own accord, resumed the conversation. "'Did I hear you say you are under sentence of death?' he asked. "'I am so actually, though not formally,' Carlos replied. "'In the language of the Holy Office, I am a professed impenitent heretic.' "'And you so young?' to be a heretic? No, I am meant so young to die. Do I look young? Even yet? I should not have thought it. To me the last two years seem like a long lifetime. Have you been two years, then, in prison? Poor boy! Yet I have been here ten, fifteen, twenty years. I cannot tell how many. I have lost the account of them. Carlos sighed, and such a life was before him, should he be weak enough to surrender his hope. He said, Do you really think, signor, that these long years of lonely suffering are less hard to bear than a speedy though violent death? I do not think it matters as to that, was the penitent's not very opposite reply. In fact, his mind was not capable at the time of dealing with such a question, so he turned from it instinctively. But in the meantime he was remembering, every moment more and more clearly, that a duty had been laid upon him by the authority to which his soul held itself in absolute subjection and that duty had reference to his fellow prisoner. "'I am commanded,' he said at last, "'to counsel you to seek the salvation of your soul "'by returning to the bosom of the one true Catholic and apostolic Church, "'out of which there is no peace and salvation.' "'Carlos saw that he spoke by rote, "'that his words echoed the thought of another, not his own. "'It seemed to him under the circumstances scarcely generous to argue. "'He spared to put forth his mental powers against the aged and broken man,' as one in like case would have spared to use his strong right arm. After a moment's thought, he replied, May I ask of your courtesy, Signor, my father, to bear with me for a little while, that I may frankly disclose to you my real belief? Appeal could never be made in vain to that penitent's courtesy. No heresy that could have been proposed would have shocked him half so much as the supposition that one Castilian gentleman could be uncourteous to another upon any account. Do me the favour to state your opinion, Signor, he responded with a bow, and I will honor myself by giving them my best attention. Carlos was little used to language such as this. It induced him to speak his mind more freely than he had been able to do for the last two years. But mindful of his experience with old Father Bernardo at San Isodro, he did not speak of doctrines, he spoke of a person. In words simple enough for a child to understand, but with a heart glowing with faith and love, he told of what he was when he walked on earth of what he is at the right hand of the Father, of what he has done, and is doing still for every soul that trusts him. Certainly the faded eye brightened, and something like a look of interest began to dawn in the mournfully still and passive countenance. For a time Carlos was aware that his listener followed every word, and he spoke slowly, on purpose to allow him to do so. But then there came a change. The listening look passed out of the eyes, and he did not wander once from the speaker's face. The expression of the whole countenance was gradually altered, from one of rather painful attention to the dreamy look of a man who hears sweet music, and gives free course to the emotions it is calculated to awaken. In truth, the voice of Carlos was sweet music in his fellow captive's ear, and he would willingly have sat thus for ever, gazing at him and enjoying it. Carlos thought that if this was the reverence's idea of a satisfactory penitent, they were not difficult to satisfy. And he marvelled increasingly that so astute a man as the Dominican prior should have put the task of conversion into such hands. For the piety so lauded in the penitent appeared to him mere passiveness, the submission of a soul out of which all resisting forces had been crushed. It is only life that resists, he thought, the dead that can move whithersoever thou will. Intolerance always sets a premium on mental stagnation. Nay, it actually produces it. It makes a desert and calls it peace and what the inquisition did for the penitent that it has done also for the penitent's fair fatherland was the resurrection of dead and buried faculties possible for him is such a resurrection possible for it and yet in spite of the deadness of heart and brain which he doubted not was the result of cruel suffering carlos loved his fellow-prisoner every hour more and more he could not tell why he only knew that his soul was knit to his when carlos for fear of fatiguing him brought his explanations to a close both relapsed into silence, and the remainder of the day passed without much further conversation, but with a constant interchange of little kindnesses and courtesies. The first sight that greeted the eyes of Carlos when he awoke the next morning was that of the penitent kneeling before the pictured Madonna, his lips motionless, his hands crossed on his breast, and his face far more earnest with feeling, it might be thought with devotion, than he had ever seen it yet. Carlos was moved, but saddened. It grieved him sore that his aged fellow-prisoner should pour out the last costly libation of love and trust left in his desolate heart before the shrine of that which was no God, and a deep longing awoke within him to lead back this weary and heavy-laden one to the only being who could give him true rest. If, indeed, he is one of God's chosen, of his loved and redeemed ones, he will be led back, not Carlos, who had spent the past two years in thinking out many things for himself. Certain aspects of truth— which may either be strong cordials or rank poisons, as they are used, had grown gradually clear to him. Opposed to the Dominican prior upon most subjects, he was at one with him upon that of predestination. For he had need to be assured, when the great flood-waters prevailed, that the chain which kept him from drifting away with them was a strong one, and therefore he had followed it up, link by link, until he came at last to that eternal purpose of God, in which it is fast angered. Since the day he had first learned, he had lived in the light of that great centre truth, I have loved thee, thee individually. But as he lay in the gloomy prison sentenced to die, something more was revealed to him. I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. The value of this truth, to him as to others, lay in the double aspect of that word everlasting. It's look forward to the boundless future, as well as backward on the mysterious past. The one was a pledge and assurance of the other, and now he was taking to his heart the comfort it gave, for the penitent as well as himself. But it made him not less, but more anxious to be God's fellow-worker in bringing him back to the truth. In the meantime, however, he was quite mistaken as to the feelings with which the old man knelt before the pictured virgin and child. His heart was stirred by no mystic devotion to the Queen of Heaven, but by some very human feelings, which had long lain dormant, but which were now being gradually awakened there. He was thinking not of heaven, but of earth, and of earth's warm beating joy and dole. And what attracted him to that spot was the only representation of womanhood and childhood, recalling, though far off and faintly, the fair young wife and babe from which he had been cruelly torn years and years ago. A little later, as the two prisoners sat over the bread and fruit that formed their morning meal, the penitent began to speak more frankly than he had done before. "'I was quite afraid of you, Signor, when you first came,' he said. "'And perhaps I was not guiltless of the same feeling towards you,' Carlos answered. "'It is no marvel. Companions in sorrows such as we are have great power either to help or to hurt one another.' "'You may truly say that,' returned the penitent. "'In fact, I once suffered so cruelly from the treachery of a fellow prisoner that it is not unnatural I should be suspicious.' How was that, Signor? It was very long ago, soon after my arrest, and yet not soon, for many weary months of darkness and solitude, I cannot tell how many, I held out, I mean to say, I continued impenitent. Did you? asked Carlos with interest. I thought as much. Do not think ill of me, I entreat you, Signor, said the penitent anxiously. I am reconciled. I have returned to the bosom of the true church, and I belong to her i have confessed and received absolution i have even had the holy sacrament and if ill or in danger of death it is promised i shall receive su majestad at any time and i have abjured and desested all the heresies i learned from de valero from de valero did you learn from him the pale cheek of carlos crimsoned for a moment then grew paler than before tell me signor if i may ask it how long have you been here that is just what i cannot tell the first year stands out clearly, but all the after years are like a dream to me. It was in that first year that the caitiff I spoke of anon, who was imprisoned with me. You observe, signor, I had already asked for reconciliation. It was promised me. I was to perform penance, to be forgiven, to have my freedom. Pues, signor, I spoke to that man as I might to you, freely and from my heart, for I supposed him a gentleman. I dared to say that their reverences had dealt somewhat hardly with me, and the like. Idle words, no doubt. Idle and wicked! God knows I have had time enough to repent them since. For that man, my fellow prisoner, he who knew what prison was, went forth straightway and delated me to the Lord's inquisitors, for whose idle words, God in heaven forgive him! And thus the door was shut upon me, shut, shut forever. Ay, de me, ay, de me. Carlos heard but little of the speech. He was gazing at him with eager kindling eyes. Were there left behind in the world any it wrung your heart to part from? he asked in a trembling voice there were and since you came their looks have never ceased to haunt me why i know not my wife my child and the old man shaded his face while in his eyes long unused to tears there rose a mist like the cloud in form as a man's hand that foretold the approach of the beneficent rain which should refreshen and soften the thirsty soil making all things young again Senor, said Carlos, trying to see it calmly, and to keep down the wild tumultuous throbbing of his heart. Signor, a boon I entreat of you. Tell me the name you bore among men. It was a noble one, I know. True. They promised to save it from disgrace, but it was part of my penance not to utter it, if possible to forget it. Yet yeah, this once—I do not ask idly. This once—have pity on me and speak it, pleaded Carlos, with intense tremulous earnestness your face and your voice move me strangely it seems to me that i could not deny you anything i am i ought to say i was don juan alvarez de Santiano simenaya before the sentence was concluded carlos lay senseless at his feet end of chapter forty one recording by del de